Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Caged In, the podcast where week by week, film by film, we go through the career of Nicolas Cage to find out if he is the best actor of his or any generation, or if he deserves vengeance to be brought upon him for crimes against cinema. Each week I'm joined by a guest and I ask them, are they a Nicolas Cage fan? What was their first and what is their favourite Nick Cage film? This week I'm joined by Brad Hansen. You may know him from the Also Rans, and he's very heavily populated over on the Evolution of Horror Patreon page. But this time we've taken him out of the shadows and he's in the spotlight to discuss Vengeance, a love story. Obviously, me and Brad go into spoilers with this film. So if you don't want it spoiled for you, please pause the podcast now and go watch the film at the time of this being released. This is available to stream in the UK on Amazon Prime Video and in the US on Showtime. However, if that changes anytime in the future, I've put a handy little Google document in the show notes, if anybody reads them anyway, that will tell you where all of that is. Anytime a change is made to... Uh, a streaming service or if it's on a different platform or anything like that i update it immediately that is the nerd that i am so please do enjoy this fantastic chat i had with uh brad hansen and please do be sure to listen to the evolution of horror podcast especially the episodes with brad on uh he has a eclectic <laughs> taste in horror and loves some real bargain basement horror that I also love. So yeah, be sure to check him out and uh, check out him on all the socials and that. All that will be plugged at the end. So please do listen to the end where I will join you and tell you what is coming up next week and all the regular gubbins. <laughs> justice system fails it takes one man to take things into his own hands nick cage stars as john dormer in johnny martin's 2017 crime drama 
vengeance, a love story, to comb through the evidence in this case and examine all the crimes that this film commits. I have Evolution of Horror podcast contributor and apologist for Neil LaBoot's 2006 Wicker Man, Brad Hansen. How are you today, Brad? I'm good, Petros. Thanks for having me on the show. It's, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, when, I, when I saw that you, yeah, are a defender of the Wicker Man, I thought, that's somebody I need to speak to. This is the man that needs to come on <laughs> and state his case, answer his crimes. <laughs> so, what, like, is that a flippant remark you make about the Wicker Man, or do you stand by it? Absolutely not a flippant comment at all. I, I'm a staunch defender of... Um, Neil Labute's Wicker Man 2006. I think it's better than Robin Hardney's 1973 original. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm in a very small minority there. I'm I'm very aware of that. <laughs> um, but uh, as as a absurdist black comedy, which I read the film as, I think it is a wonderfully deranged look at gender stereotypes gender roles toxic masculinity i think it explores themes neil labute has always been someone that likes to fuck around with uh convention you know in the company of men is a misogynist wet dream but also a damning portrait of it Mm -hmm. and i think he continues that thread in the wicker man in a more slapstick manner shall we say yeah, well, I think the film has got to be knowingly uh, satirical in the fact that it uses papyrus as the main font for the title sequence at the beginning. And no no film that's taken itself seriously is going to do that, right? Well, yeah, I mean, look at Avatar. <laughs> exactly. It's just Fern Gully <laughs> with a bigger budget. Uh, exactly. So, so before we get into talking about uh, vengeance or, yeah, it's... Well, I'm glad they went with this title because uh, I did a bit of reading uh, as to the on book. The, on the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the, the book title, uh, I don't, well, by the looks of the numbers, not a lot of people saw this anyway. But I don't think anyone would have saw it if it kept with the original title, which is Rape, A Love Story. I'm, I'm not sure how that even works for a book title, that that would really, I don't know, grab people's attention. Apparently, it didn't work particularly well because it didn't sell that many <laughs> copies. It's, but, you know. Yeah, and even from even from that standpoint, it's just a weird, weird, I don't know, it's a very muddled film. But, uh, yeah, we, we will we'll pick it apart to its bare bones in a bit. But uh, are you a Nick Cage fan, first of all, Brad? Y- yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, what is it about Nick Cage that kind of made you, like, got you into him and, like, yeah, made you a fan of him? I think he's one of the most enigmatic actors of the last three decades. Mm-hmm. I think there is something about him that it, he has a magnetism to him where it's one of those, you know, uh, polar opposites. You're either attracted to his magnetism or you, you couldn't want to get further away from his magnetism. <laughs> in terms of uh, what he does. I just think he's an astoundingly bizarre actor that has taken on roles that he shouldn't have. And I'm talking about big roles as well as little, you know, the small tat he's been doing since he got into tax problems. Um, 
but I, I just find him to be um there's no one like Nick Cage. It, it it's difficult it's difficult. If you if you were gonna say if you were gonna say like Petrol Stop it to you, who who is an actor similar to Nicolas Cage? Uh, the only person who springs to mind and kind of like comes up on this podcast quite a lot is maybe Willem Dafoe, just in this kind of like is happy to go to these weird places, whether it's like working with Lars von Trier, but at the same time will do a Disney film and then be in Spider Man. Yeah, I, so Defoe, the other one I was thinking of was Gary Boosie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Boo Boo Boosie, yeah, of course. He's a... Yeah, Boosie, but <laughs> neither of them neither of them match his, his charisma, his mm-hmm. charm, and his, um, his willingness to overcommit to a role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just be who he is. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how <laughs> much of it is... Similar to like with Tom Cruise, where you don't feel like he's really acting. He's just Tom Cruise in The Mummy. He's Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. It feels like maybe there's always a part of Nick that never is, is just is just a constant throughout his his life. Obviously, I would love, you know, like obviously they did like the Osbournes and the Kardashians. <laughs> I would love to see, you know, keeping up with the cages. That, 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 would, oh, be that would be fantastic amazing yeah 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 uh, I, I guess in a way we will kind of get to see a fictionalized version of that with the unbearable weight of massive talent which has just oh, yeah. begun shooting i think in budapest so like that's, that's that's something to look forward to hopefully cage poking fun at himself as well and uh yeah so what was the first entry point for you for nick cage what was the first film you saw that was like oh I want a slice of that pie. So in my head, in terms of memory, that I'm, there are four films that I think were all watched in quite close proximity, which were Face Off, Con Air, 8mm and Snake Eyes. A solid run as well, right? That's like yeah. that late 90s bang. So in my head, that is how I think I came into contact with Cage. In what order, I couldn't tell you. But the likelihood is that when I was like eight or nine, I probably watched Trapped in Paradise and didn't even realise. <laughs> um, I watched that for this very podcast. And now I could probably tell you two points about that film. That's how memorable it is. And that's only been in the last couple of years I've watched it. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not one I've gone back to revisit. <laughs> I, I mean, Cage is always my most watched actor of every single year. Um, I think I've done 12 this year so far. I try not to repeat. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting into like the nitty gritty, some of the stuff that you've already covered, like, you know, Birdie and Freebirds and mm-hmm. Valley Girl and, you know, the, the lesser seen cuts of his filmography, plus all this shit like <laughs> stolen and fucking inconceivable and whatever else he's fucking churning out. Uh, yeah, I'm, I basically just try and fill in all the blanks. Uh, with the, with the idea to have completely completed his filmography because I own every single one of his films. Amazing. Yeah, that's uh I do as well and I don't know why uh when I first started this podcast I decided to get rid of all the cases so I have them in like a 90s CD wallet like a madman. I look like a serial killer or something like these are my what, trophies. You're, you're going to DJ like <laughs> freakiest party you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm, is I'm, a, that, some DJ Yoda style, like uh, V DJing, like just Nick Cage movies. I got, I got uh, 
turntable one vampires kiss and then mixing in a bit of uh leaving las vegas on deck two it's nice to have that nice dichotomy between the two you know his his oscar winning role <laughs> and the one where he's got fake teeth in his mouth <laughs> well perfect so uh obviously you've listed a good fair few of the dross of Nicolas Cage's career but what is your personal favorite Nick Cage film might not be the film where he gives the best performance or it might not be objectively the best Nick Cage film what's your personal favorite Nick Cage film The Wicker Man 2006 (laughs) amazing amazing I'm not even there's no hesitation I have a I have an original cinema poster of it on my wall I take I take this dedication very seriously. Uh, yeah, it's either that. I loved Mandy, mm-hmm. uh, and I love uh, Raising Arizona and Wild at Heart. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if you if you if you're push, pressing me, it would be Wicker Man or Wild at Heart. I, I'm I'm going to take Wicker Man. That's going to go in the uh, take Wicker Man in the in the vault. Yeah, that's. I, th- I think. Has anyone ever said that before? No, no. You're a first shout for Wicker Man. So so uh, cowards. You, yeah, you can go up in the Hall of Fame as uh, as the one brave soul. I can see why he likes your mom. I'll run you home. No, we're going to walk. Holly in the morning. There once was a mermaid live by the pond. Tina McGuire. Niagara Falls detectives are investigating a brutal attack on a local woman and her 12-year-old daughter. You're her only witness. I need your help. This was a confused and frightened child. Lying or whose mother, Tina, was so derelict as a parent to drag her to a drunken orgy party. But it wasn't rape, it was consensual. They are completely innocent. Just like I did Tina. We're done. We have a document in this country. It's called the Constitution. What's not in that document is vigilante cop justice. Who knows? You might even need my services someday. And I hope you'll never need mine. I like that. I had a purpose to discharge my sworn duty as an officer of the law. Let's talk about Vengeance, a love story. Was this your first time watching it? It was. Uh, Will you be watching it again? I will not. (laughs) It's it's bad, man. Yeah, it's, it's that thing, especially in the kind of 
revenge thriller drama kind of pantheon of films it's just got it's got none of the fun stuff you expect from a revenge film it's got i don't know for like the dark subject matter it's not like kind of bleak and nihilistic enough to kind of nail those points for it to be like one of those i don't know like an irreversible in that like well you feel something from it whereas this like it's probably a i don't know quite it's gonna sound quite gross to people listening but i I found myself at one point just plucking out my own nose hairs and that was far more enjoyable than watching uh, vengeance I don't think that one's going to... I don't think that Paul quote's going to make it on the DVD cover, I'll be honest with you. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> no, but I completely agree with you in the sense of the fact that it's not uh, schlocky enough to be like an I spit on your grave, mm-hmm. you know, revenge movie. It doesn't have enough genre trappings. It's quite um, procedural and rudimentary in, in its presentation, but it's also hasn't got any of the real depth or substance to, to look at the, you know... This book is that uh, it's based on, uh, although it's got obviously quite a an off-putting title, is incredibly well received, and it's apparently meant to be a really interesting and thoughtful take on sort of rape culture and victim mm-hmm. blaming and things like this. And the film tries to touch on these subject matters, but doesn't handle them in any particular way that you wouldn't see in like a Lifetime movie with Emma Roberts. There's no, there's there's no nuance or subtlety to it it's all very matter of factness about it it seems like it's more like it's just presenting the situation rather than asking you to have any feeling mm-hmm. on what it's showing you well even the machinations of the plot as well like when nick cage's character john is introduced um to tina it makes no no sense like that kind of scene that like it just feels i don't know i guess that might be from the book but like it doesn't, it just feels like a scene that was written to like give him more of a vested interest in her case than just being the cop who happened to pick up her daughter at, the, at yeah. that moment. Because the, the scene kind of like doesn't really go anywhere. She like, he doesn't say anything. And then it's just, it's just quite, the, the whole kind of first 10 minutes are fairly bizarre. We get this like, scene of him like do like doing a stakeout and then his partner getting shot and then it's like okay like what what, what was that supposed to tell us as an audience it is retirement he <laughs> <laughs> got he got danny glovered mm-hmm. um I, I like so the, I, that's one of my first issues with the film is they they need to make her almost a love interest to give him any semblance of caring about her mm-hmm. It's like they always feel like they have to justify her, his interest in the case. He can't just be a cop being like, I want justice, I want retribution, I want vengeance for what's occurred to this young lady. It needs to, it needs to be explained so that he has a personal stake in it. And I feel like you're kind of almost missing the point of the book itself, the, the literature that you're taking it from, that you're needing a man to be invested in a woman in order to care that this atrocity has occurred to her. Yeah, it's almost like the, the kind of like white knight syndrome of like you need a man to swoop in and sort everything out, and it's and that that that's kind of what Cage's like character basically is in this film. Like he doesn't, he, I don't know, he doesn't really have much of a character beyond that. Like you don't really know that much about him. 
even though we get this redundant like do you know what I mean? I, I've had a tough, I'm a tough beat cop who's like had a month off. Like the passage of time in this as well is just all over the place. It's quite frankly bizarre. Mm. Yeah, it's an odd one because he's so poorly drawn as a character. Like you know, the synopsis tells you more about him than the actual film does. <laughs> the synopsis is like, oh, he's, he's a re- retired Navy vet, or you know, whatever he is. Uh, yeah, Iraq War veteran. And he's a Niagara Falls police detective and all this, but like, obviously, it's abundantly clear he's a police detective from the first um, scene, which is just. I, so I was like, what type of cage? You know, you, you set the benchmark for like, what type of cage film am I going to get? Mm-hmm. And you know, there's all these newspaper cuttings, meth lab explodes, and blah blah. blah. So I'm thinking, here we go. We're gonna have some kind of druggy. It's like I was like, oh, it's gonna be like Running with the Devil. Have you cut? Have you done that one yet? Not yet. No, that's 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 up on the list. That's coming Good up. Good luck. <laughs> um, and um, so I was like, okay. And then obviously that scene plays out, and there's that engagement ring shot where he's like, oh, I've got an engagement ring, and that in itself is once again, we've just got to get some exposition in there so that you care about what happens to the his partner. Let li- literally thirty seconds later. And, but I mean, I will say that, that, that it is the first bit of cageness because he gets absolutely taken out by a car and then shot within the first minute of the film. And he takes the entire thing as like a fucking pro. Yeah. Just like, whatever, man, let's fucking do this. Um, what, like, one of the things that know. jumped out to me in that scene as well is like the kind of the, the, the gunshot sounds are just reminded me of Time Crisis. They're just like these really like, heavily like put on you can clearly tell they were like do you know what I mean like done in post like, shit. yeah eight, yeah it's just like kabang kabang and it's like really these sound like they sound like shotgun shells going off and he's just got like you get yeah, you get it from that moment like of him at the gun range and then when he shoots the guy in the like truck afterwards and it's I don't there's a weird logic in this film of like of people just managing to have almost like uh, uh, horror, like, yeah, like horror villain, like, you, you know what I mean? You're like your Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers style abilities of just being able to, like, move wherever they want. Like, in that, like, this guy's just crashed a car and he's no, he's no longer, like, in, in two seconds, he's no longer in it and just pops out and shoots them both. Yeah, it's like where did he go? <laughs> like, there's no, there was nowhere for him to hide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, it, shapeshifter maybe, shapeshifter meth cook. But yeah, we get. We oh wait, get, or was he the serial killer? But I have no like. That's what I mean. I have no idea. Scene one. <laughs> that's why, like, when it got to the end of it, I was like, "What was that scene about?" And then it's like you start asking yourself questions. It's like, "What, what was that bar scene about?" It's like she was coming on to him, and then we cut to like Fourth of July party. And she's like dancing about on the table, hugging it up with this other guy. And I was like, "What? What is going? Like, what is going on?" I, I mean, I, I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I will say that he—he's—I mean, he's very humble about the fuck, uh, the fact that he caught an actual serial killer. Because mm-hmm. she's like, "Oh, it, like, it's amazing! Like, you, uh, you did this." And he's just like, "Yeah, whatever, man. It's all part of the fucking job." And then. You know, he, he you know he gets out that other bit of vital exposition. He's a widower. Oh, good. So he can be a love interest. 
Um, but then he just sits there and he doesn't say fuck all to her. <laughs> She's talking at him and he he couldn't give less of a fuck about her, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, and then, yeah, yeah as, you, as you rightly say, smash cut. What the fuck are we doing at the 4th of July? And why is she necking up with this guy? Who's this? Yeah. Does that make I, any sense? I, I, I had to, like, look on IMDb and being like, have they cast two actresses who look really similar? Like, so I was like, is this someone else? Like, I don't know what's going on here. And then, like, rewound it and being like, oh, no, she's wearing the exact same outfit. And it's like, is it the same day? Has she gone straight from the bar to the 4th of July party or like is this like they, that's what I mean, the passage of time is quite frankly I don't I, I'm a, a tenant like seems to make more sense uh, the time machinations than they do in this film mm-hmm. I mean I would love to be able to sit here and say Petros you, you, you <laughs> missed it here's what happened <laughs> but I can't because I don't know like <laughs> one minute we're in a bar and the next minute, she's canoodling up with another bloke. And, you know, fair enough. If she's not necessarily happy with this other fella and maybe she was, you know, setting to bin him off a cage, I don't blame her. I would certainly dump any partner that I had in order to be with Nicolas Cage. Um, but show me why. Like, he, 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 he himself hasn't even appeared very charming. Mm-hmm. All he's done is drunk whiskey and said nothing to her. <laughs> Yeah, it's painting a really, like, that is net in the history of human civilization. I don't think a guy has sat at a bar, not said anything, and, like, got someone's number. Like, that that, that doesn't happen. Like uh, I, I might try it. Maybe that's where I'm going from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, getting the police for you just got a, a very steely, hard, just drinking whiskey with twiddle, twiddle your engagement ring going... Used to have a wife, but she died. And that is an instant panty dropper. Uh, apparently so. Apparently, Cage has got it has got it nailed, uh, nailed down. And I don't, everything in this is broad strokes, though. And the first point we get that is when uh, Tina like screams at her daughter about getting off the roof, and it's like we get that instantly. Like, all right, yeah, there's 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 some overprotective protective issues mother. We're getting some like. That something's, I don't know, it, it alludes to like what, ha- uh, like that they were happy with the dad. Again, you, you know, he's dead. You don't, do you ever find, do you ever find out how he died or anything like that? Or ah, he's just fucking dead and he just came out of the way. It's, 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 don't worry about it. And then, I don't know, to- tonally as well, we like when they start walking through the woods, like, uh, it's, that that's another great moment. Because all of a sudden we're in the like on the set of like the Evil Dead because there's just like this mist everywhere, and then there's like kind of like ma- like you mentioned Mandy earlier. It's like you get obviously because it's Fourth of July, you get the fireworks going off, but we get this kind of like like pastel light show in the background against this like fog, and it's like what what's going on now? Yeah, because the scene beforehand almost plays like a scene from like High School Musical where they're having an argument yeah. where Troy is going to take whoever to the, the prom. <laughs> but then the next scene is like this ethereal, dreamlike walk through the woods. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they clunkily explain why they're doing it. I think she says something like, go, let's go look at that thing that you and your dad used to like doing or seeing, like some boathouse or some bollocks. 
and uh, obviously they stumble into the mess. What I assumed, I mean, on my notes, I've written run into some generic meth heads. But then I don't actually know if the meth ha- that the meth thing really has anything to do with, you know, the newspaper comes at the beginning, if they actually had anything to do with anything. Well, I don't think they do. Th- those guys just look like, I don't know, a mixture of like they should be knocking about uh, like Hoxton or like extras in a Rob Zombie film. They've kind of got like that that vibe to them. Hoodlums. <laughs> well, you've got that guy. Evil. Like, yeah, we get the guy with the hat and like the long hair and like a feather in his cap who looks like, do you know what I mean? He should be like frequenting like the streets of uh, Shoreditch kind of skulking about. And then we like we get a guy with possibly the worst haircut ever with the kind of like weird side plait. I honestly, I I don't remember the villains at all. <laughs> like <laughs> they were just they were just four men mm-hmm. of varying degrees. I didn't pay. They, they were they were so poorly drawn as characters that they become just almost like meat puppets. So I'm just like there's four of them, four of them, no good nicks. We'll call them. Well, like yeah. Then then we get like again like it. it it transpires, obviously, that I, I don't think there's any easy way to say this, that they, they gang rape her in this, like, I don't like, quite like, quite an, un, I don't know, an unsettling scene. It's, yeah, it, it obviously that on film is always going to be an unsettling, like, thing to, to see. But it's just, I, I don't know, again, it's, it's very bizarre because I'm like, how this has escalated in a matter of like moments. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't, it's, 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 it's a, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre scene. It's very hard to talk about uh, rape scenes on a podcast. I am learning right now, Brad. Um, I've done it a couple of times, mate, and it's never easy. It's never, <laughs> it's, it's, ne- it's never an easy one to go through. What I will say is that you're completely right that it escalates at like an absurdly quick pace. Mm-hmm. They're just like, hey, where are you going, lady? And then the next thing you know, the event occurs. Mm-hmm. Now, the event itself is handled okay. Mm-hmm. It could be better. It could be worse. Now, the problem with rape scenes in a lot of films is that they're hypersexualized, And that in itself becomes this kind of weird dichotomy where you're trying to convey a, a truly abhorrent act, something that... that should be immediately punished for castration and whatever else you want to you want to think of, but a lot of the times you know they'll be like, "Oh, we'll get a bit of tit in there, we'll get a bit of butt in there." Do you know what I mean? And it's like, and this film does does it in a way that's okay, but there are still moments where it's like, "Is it necessary?" Mm-hmm. But then it, it, the, the the flip reverse of that is if you don't show it, then are you shying away from the topic? Are you kind of trying to sweep it under the rug like it's not a thing or it doesn't matter or it's not a big deal? I've got to do a podcast on Irreversible soon and that is going to be a fucking nightmare. <laughs> well, there is a thing in this that like, and I guess it's always that thing when portraying like a rape scene in a film is obviously studios are always worried about censors as well and stuff like that. So obviously like there's that cynical thing that like, they're not going to show people like the, I don't I guess Irreversible is a film that kind of does go hell bent forever and 
Gaspar Noe's intention to make people feel uncomfortable. But like, I don't know that like this, not, not, not saying like I would want it to be that levels of like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, barbarity. But the, at the at the same time, like, I don't, it's like my there's that cynical part of my brain being like, this should this should on film be shocking. Like, I, I should not want him. I should be like, I don't. I'd like. I can't. I just can't stomach to look at. Can't the screen. watch this. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a tough one to tread because obviously, yeah, as you say, the sensor the sensors, but especially in the UK. Even now, their biggest pet peeve or bugbear is sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you can you can eviscerate and gut and chop and maim anyone you like, but when it comes to those kind of things, it's I'm sure the American censors are still are the same as well. But sexual violence is, is the big one. But it's like you know there was that uh, film from a couple of years ago, Revenge. I don't know if you caught mm-hmm. that. I, I know of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and that itself kind of doesn't shy away from the kind of grim reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. And it's all, you know, I always think that, yeah, one of those scenes, a scene like that should always be difficult and challenging to watch. And it should definitely never be sexualized. And a lot of them, especially if you're looking at like in the, the 90s, like in the, in the realm of erotic thriller mm-hmm. or, um, or uh, in horror movies in, in the 90s and even the early 2000s, the, 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 the idea was always to kind of overstimulate and, you know, show things that maybe you shouldn't be showing in that. But either way, two, two men talking about rape. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Scary. Yeah. Of course, of course, of course. Uh, I don't, well, let's, well, yeah, uh, it, Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on from that. Uh, oh, like we, we got through it. Uh, bloody hell. I feel like I'm dig- digging that hole even deeper for every word that's coming out of my mouth. Every word you say, yeah, you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, so, Nick, yeah, it's, again, happenstances. It happens to be that Nick is driving past and finds the daughter on the road, which, again, like, just feels like, lazy script writing to me like of all the cops in all the land it happens to be him he walks into mine (laughs) uh yeah i mean it's unbelievably convenient um but if this was the 80s we probably wouldn't have anything to say about it because that's just the way things were and this does feel in a way like a bit of a throwback in the way that the film is constructed to like 80s narrative storytelling, which is, eh, <laughs> let's just get to the point as quick as we can. You know what I mean? Well, then they do get to the point really quick because there is like, I wanted to address this is like how quickly they go from like her being in hospital, getting the daughter to identify the people, like, do you know what I mean? Like, give the descriptions, them being rounded up. And then in a police lineup, and then it cuts to like the news saying like last night this happened. It's like, well, they're doing something right, like the police force in this town, because it's like literally within twelve hours, it's like done. Well, the, the policeman says they did, they left everything but name tags. Yeah, 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 yeah. They they, they weren't particularly um, smart. It was obviously quite an opportunistic situation. Um, 
and so th- at that point, I was like, well, okay, so where's this going? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because like, bear in mind, we're like 20, 20 minutes in at this point. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this has all been wrapped up in a, a nice, neat bow in like 20 minutes. So, so then I was like, oh, fuck. We're going to get, it's going to be a courtroom procedural. <laughs> and then, and then bloody Don Johnson turned up and ruined everything. Well, the thing with Don Johnson as well is right at the end, we get Don Johnson riding away on this, like, kind of, like, souped up, like, looks like a kind of state chopper. Trooper. Yeah, chopper. Like, and it's like, where did, why did we see that earlier in the film? That would have been great. Like, at least it could have got a smile out of me. Like, or a chase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. chase for no reason. Yeah. Uh, it don't, that, that didn't make a lick of sense. It felt like it was contractually obligated. He's like, I get to keep this as well. Like that was that was his last day on set, and he, he that's it. He just fucked off, ne- never to be seen again. They were like, "That's a rap on, that's a picture rap on Don." <laughs> and then he, they're like, "Don, Don," <laughs> and he's just he's gone. He's he's in the wind. I'll see you later. Uh, but yeah, like I don't know why that's in there. Like a lot of things that I, I think I wrote that down as well. Like, why is he on a bike? <laughs> like, we haven't ever established that he's on a bike. <laughs> No, we kind of get this thing that he's almost like this, um, like, televangelist-style, like, I don't know, smooth-talking, like, like lawyer that's going to, like, going to probably get them off the case, like, from, from moment one. It's like, he's a slime bag, like, he's, he's going to be, like, weaselly talk. I'm trying to think of the name. I recently watched the Netflix documentary all about, um, there was, like, a court case involving somebody who got killed over like a Trisha style Jerry Springer show and there was a like lawyer on that who's like Don that is Don Johnson's character like this kind of like really charismatic guy and we see that when it comes to the hearing and you see like Don Johnson like turn up late and he's like just been on a conference call with something uh, federal I hope you don't mind and then like the judge is like I love this bloke. Like from that moment, it's like he's he's won the fucking case, and it's again makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, so they've got that. Yeah, when we're first introduced to Don, you're like slime bag lawyer. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's what it is. And you have the conversation and uh, with the parents, and the parents are obviously more of a well-to-do family, I'm guessing. So they're doing the whole thing of like, oh, not these boys because they come from good stock or good breeding. And there's a lovely line in this. why they're saying they've got to pay for both of them separately and the father do you remember this says uh that's why she's got two tits ain't it yeah 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 it's like you, you can't you can, you can look after both kids at the same time and then he tries to cut a deal doesn't he? he's like could you not cut us a deal don can you not get us like buy one get one free yeah yeah to backtrack for a moment as well, casting in this is quite frankly bizarre. There's a sexy French boy. Like, there's a guy who looks like he like was sexy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like an ex-sexy French priest who kind of tells them to get this lawyer. Do you remember that guy? No. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like got a sh- Again, I always find it quite funny when you see a, a priest with a short sleeve shirt. Because when the family are introduced, we get this brilliant line from the dad where he's like, like it's the delivery when he says to the daughter, he's like, where are you going looking like that? 
And then it like cuts inside the house, and we get the the, the priest like saying, "Oh, you want to?" Uh, oh, that's more Spanish, but yeah, he's like saying to the mum, like, "You you want you want to get this lawyer? Like he he's gonna be he's gonna be your guy." And she's like, again, uh, it just remind they like people reminded me of other like actors all the time. Like the mum reminded me of. Uh, Ah, oh, the mum from Silver Linings Playbook. If you've ever seen that, what's her name? Uh, Jackie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like she just looked like a kind of like um, like Poundland version, and like e- even her kind of performance that she gave. It's it's always fun with these type of movies, and not necessarily just Nick Cage ones to always do. Um, yeah, like B movie casting. Mm-hmm. It's like when they they always cast Elias Kotas because they can't afford Robert De Niro. <laughs> well, it's like the the squint and make like or if people see them on the poster like or the, the dvd in asda they might get confused and go Ooh. yeah they're like is that <laughs> is that debbie harry no <laughs> <laughs> so yeah should, uh, yeah should we talk about the hearing because that that's like i've ne- i've never seen a courtroom like it it's got an electric electric atmosphere in there they're fucking cheering and whooping <laughs> like jerry springer <laughs> well I, I, I get this moment as well the way it's like the way this film's lit in like spots is really weird it's like it's kind of everything's through like a kind of like dull filter yeah it, 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 because it, it's like courtroom procedurals are tough to watch mm-hmm. like because they're not terribly cinematic and they're not terribly interesting but a lot of the times they're quite vital and salient to a point so you kind of have to endure it and it's up to the filmmaker to make it engaging in some way and he chose to make it like it was a reality tv show or, or like a you know like a uh dr phil episode basically <laughs> where people were ooing and ahhing every single time and there's a lovely moment where um nick cage gets grammar fucked in front of the whole courtroom yes you remember that yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) he gets his trousers pulled down and gets spanked by the dictionary because he fucks his grammar up (laughs) but from moment i found quite interesting i think from the moment that like don johnson kind of came in and like wooed the judge by saying he was like dealing with like a federal case like from that moment on it's like everything that the the prosecution have to offer it. it's like nah not good enough like like and it's like these guys obviously you shouldn't judge a book by its cover but the the the, the guys who committed the crime even to look at them you'd be like well they don't look the most innocent guys and the way they're behaving in court like there must be witnesses to them kind of like going tina tina and like wink like like kind of stage winking at people when like things are going their way. It's like you're. It's called like. Do you know what I mean? It's called a gallery for a reason. Like people can see what's going on. Obviously, there's like uh, officials there and stuff like that. And I think there, there might have been a, a courtroom uh, illustrator to kind of like capture some moments. But yeah, I found that again. It's coming up a lot. Bizarre. I think, it, I think what the film is trying to do, and I kind of respect for it for what it's doing, but it's doing it in the wrong way, which is it's it's basically saying that the American judicial system and and 
society as a whole is always geared towards not believing the victim. And if not believing them, blaming them for the circumstances. Slut shaming, whatever you want to dress it up as. And the film is handling that, is, is, is saying the right thing or presenting the right thing that no matter what this, this uh, woman does to try and prove that this occurred, it's he said, she said, and nine times out of ten, judges in real life will always side with, mm-hmm. with the perpetrator and not the victim. So I understand why it's doing what it's doing, but it's not doing it in a particularly clever or even tactful way. Mm. It feels like you're being kind of almost barraged over the head with it, being like, look how they don't believe her. Look what they... But it's not played in like... um, Like, the the, the scenes don't make me feel angry like they should do, because the, the, the way that they should they should play out, I should feel, like, frustrated and annoyed and angry that they're not listening to her, they're not believing her, they don't want to hear what's being said, they're not trusting the testimony of the girl, they're not trust, yeah, they're questioning the integrity of this woman, her sexual history, her sexual past, that's got nothing to do with this, blah, 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 blah. But instead, I'm angry, frustrated, and annoyed that this is so boringly done <laughs> that, I, like, whatever happens, I'm kind of just like, like I know where this is going. They're getting off. Let's get this over and done with, so we can watch Nick Cage start stomping people's heads in. Well, yeah, that and I was like, "Where's that coming? Like, when when's that gonna come in?" And one of like possibly like the greatest bits of acting in this film is there's that long scene or like long shot of Nick Cage sat in the empty courtroom, and it kind of keeps like panning in, panning in. And then he kind of like gets this glint in his eye and a bit of a wry smile. And it's like, that's him. Well, any time he kind of is hatching up a plan, there's always a great scene that comes before it. And that, and this is it. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's it. And then we get like, I'm not sure if you remember the, uh, the eagle scene I've written in my notes. Eagle so he's at the top of the like Niagara Falls again, like, I've been to Niagara Falls, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure there was, like, you can't, it's not that readily accessible to the top of the falls. It definitely isn't. No. Yeah. And, like, everyone's just kind of, like, hanging about. There's, like, a moment when Tina, like, goes to attempt suicide. And all I could think about that is because, like, Cage essentially comes into, into shot from the side that the falls are. But all I could think about was what that looked like on set and the kind of like thing of like, one, two, three, in frame, please, Nick. And it just like, I don't know. It's like, it, it, none of this seems believable. Like, I've, yeah, I've been to Niagara. You can't get that close. You can't get that close. And like how, it, the, the, the level of convenience once again comes into play. Like she's there on her own at this point about to fucking mm. launch herself off the falls in a barrel and he just happens to be there and there's no like rhyme or reason for why he's there it's not explained why he's there he's just there and he thwarts the suicide attempt and we go and we move on (laughs) it it plays almost with like the room style logic do you know what i mean where like stuff just happens and it's like as as like uh an intelligent audience you're asking yourself like well, well why is that happening why like, are you playing football in tuxedos exactly like and and 
it reminded me of the room as well because some of the, the the CGI in this is kind of comparable to the the rooftop scenes in the, the room. green screen. Yeah, the the like yeah the green screen backdrops of Niagara Falls are terrible. It's because this was probably shot in Bulgaria again. He's always <laughs> yeah. in bloody Bulgaria filming stuff. <laughs> and, like, ah, uh, yeah, that moment. So, the, the the moment he shoots the guy, like, off of Niagara Falls, like, it, you almost, like, see, like, a ripple in the green screen. And, like, he, he almost, like, the, the actor looks like he has, like, a glow around him. I don't know. It's like if somebody stands in front of a green screen with like a bit of green on it, it was that levels of like shoddy green screen work yeah i mean I, i'm never expecting much from that sort of situation um but i mean budgetary constraints did you did you see read that nick cage was supposed to direct this yes i did and um it's, it's produced by his production company saturn films so mm. like and what do you think? It's clearly a. I was gonna say, what do you think the Nick Cage version would have looked like? I don't know because obviously he's only ever directed one film, mm-hmm. uh, Sunny, um, with James Franco. Yes. Uh, which I, I still that I'm saving that one for last. You know what I mean? I'm gonna watch the Masters <laughs> acting range and then I'll go on to his. <laughs> It's like, you know, it's the same as Brando. Brando only did one film as a director as well. They're following similar trajectories, if you ask me. Um, but yeah, um, what his version would be like, I don't know. Because in this whole film, as I said, as you read on the thing that I put on Letterboxd, you know, it commits the cardinal scene of never letting him off the leash. Mm-hmm. So, and I feel like once I learned what this film was actually going to be and what this film was about, it's not really appropriate to have Nick Cage going absolutely mad constantly and gurning and bug-eyed and jutting his chin out and being a fucking freak. It doesn't fit with the tone of the film. So I figured that this is kind of, in his head, like a, 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 a very serious magnum opus almost of, you know, dealing with this issue of victim blaming and rape culture and and these sort of things. So I don't necessarily think it would be that much different if he directed it. Well, yeah. And I think he's got this thing that if he's in films where there's like a bigger, uh, a bigger topic at hand, obviously like, like the, yeah, the subject matter of this is very heavy, but like with like something like left behind, which he did because like his brother had asked him because he's like a pastor and was like, oh, uh, I really love the books and stuff. I think he'd be uh, great for this. But it just looks like his performances then are dulled down because he's he doesn't want to offend anyone. It kind of like has this thing of like, he's second guessing his natural instincts as an actor. And this is what comes out. He's like, what I would want to do in this scene is this, but like the subject. I shouldn't. Matter- yeah, I shouldn't. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like that kind of, I don't know. Like Respect the material. But but then doesn't know what to do. Like, because he's like, I've been, as you said, I've been gurning and bug-eyed for so long that it's kind of, yeah. if I don't do that, I end up just turning into like a cardboard cutout of myself. 
yeah, I mean, this isn't the only film that he's guilty of doing this. And mm-hmm. even, even in certain films of, of recent times, even in that, you still get little flex. It's almost like lip yeah. service to the fans uh, of his performances, where even in, you know, Running With The Devil, which I know you haven't got to yet, he's pretty fucking boring in it. But there are still occasional moments of... And I felt like, aside from the scene you mentioned where he's scowling in the courtroom alone, but even then, that's still a very restrained cage. Mm -hmm. Like, I could see him playing that very differently if this wasn't... If it was a different type of film. Yes. Maybe. Well, and it's even the moments that he could, like, cut loose like in a sense in the way that like he's a man who even with the subject matter who deserves to feel angry at like the system and stuff like that and when he's confronting each of the like yeah each of the attackers he he's just almost like a shadow isn't he he's just in he's quiet like he, he does he doesn't really say much throughout the entire film really he's like I don't know. He he almost like drifts into the complete background for a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of the times I was almost forgetting that he was there, mm-hmm. and that's the, as I say, that's the cardinal sin. Like you've got to let him do his stuff, even in serious subject matters, or you know, because the, the problem is if you're going to do a film that's dealing with this kind of sensitive issue or this big wide societal issue, do it well. And this film isn't well made, so it's like yeah. if you you're doing neither, you're neither giving me Cage, and you're not, or and you're not, you know, giving a performance that he could be lauded for, or you know, even if his performance is muted and it's you know respectful and quiet and you know, perfunctionary in what in what it does, in order to service the message of the film or service the wider theme of the film to let this film breathe and be and be its own thing and him just be a cog in that machine but that isn't what this film is because it's not well made <laughs> well did you notice as well the uh the the poster like image did you notice that scene in the film because it's just like a complete lift of like him with the shotgun and it, it really like that is a, a prime example of something mis-selling a film did you did you spot that moment I, I, I honestly, I didn't spot the moment at it, all. It's, I just it's, assumed it was some random screen grab of yeah of the film, but I had no idea when it was. It's right at the end when everything's wrapped up, and he's just putting a shotgun in the boot of his car before the uh, before Tina and Bethy come to see him through the fence. It's like, oh, all right, you've sold me on this film that we're going to have like this like shotgun toting badass going after like well seeking vengeance and there's going to be a love story like b plot and it's like i got none of that like (laughs) well i have a slight reading of that based on the ending of a love story uh which well maybe we'll get to when we we get to that part of the film but i've got a slight reading i'm probably clutching at straws but you know whatever Perfect. And then, yeah, so kind of the the, main, the the big bad in this, like the kind of people who have set up as the biggest villains are the two brothers. And, uh, well, I don't know, like, again, 
the what like the kind of any element of character development we do get because they kind of get their own scene where they're in the tattoo shop is that like one of them is supposed to be like a kind of like pinky and the brain style duo and it's like is 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 this really it is this do you know what I mean like we're supposed to like i don't know just but one of them's a bit of an idiot who wants an apple pie tattooed on him and then cage offs them at the top of niagara falls again that you can't get to but, but like it, it, you know it's what i said earlier about them being meat puppets they're so indistinguishable from like them as characters yeah. that they're just they're just things they're just like plot de- effectively just walking plot devices in order to like take it along what i don't understand is after you know the the thwarted suicide scene they've got away with it they're free as a bird and they decide that the best thing to do in that case is to go and kill their fucking cat for no reason. Yeah, but but then even the way that's handled, the daughter, like instead of obviously seem up 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 until this point, quite seems quite savvy, has like helped in the like investigation and stuff like that. Obviously, kind of understands a bit of the police procedures and stuff like that. Just gets the cat and buries it in the back garden. It's like that is evidence. Yeah, there's going to be fingerprints on that cat. Someone fingerprint that cat now. Yeah, well, and it, and it's post that hearing as well. And, like, it's made out that they're going to need every bit of help they can to prove that these guys did do what they did. did, did, do what they did. Well, yeah, bloody ass. Uh, that's a tongue twister. But, yeah, it's like, why, like, I, I, I just don't get, I just don't get people's, inter- the, the, the film's internal logic and the kind of motivations for the characters for any of them to do what they did. Yeah, I, like I don't know why. As soon as you get off, of, you know, if I got off from a crime, let's not say it's rape. Let's say it's something else. Uh, but if I got off from a crime, I'm keeping my fucking head down. Like that's what I'm doing. And I know that obviously the film is trying to establish that one of them's an idiot because he wants apple pie. Uh, but like, you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do what they did. No one would do what they did. No. Like it just makes no sense to then go back to the victim's house that you know, you know is the victim, and hang their cat as what like a vengeance because you dared step up to them. I guess is is the rationale of the film. But as I say, this kid's got her head screwed on, and then just is like, well, I'm just going to put you in the ground, and then we'll. It never comes up again. Cage, I think doesn't Cage drive by at this point and doesn't do a thing to help her. <laughs> No, no, he's kind of like, because the, the guy takes off in a car and like all my notes here say like, oh, that's the car from Wayne's World. And like, that, that's how much my like brain was drifting off. I was like, oh, yeah, that's 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 that that's that car from Wayne's World. I always, I always thought they were cool when I was a kid. And then it, but then it's like, yeah, Cage drives by and then does he then drive past the, yeah, because he drives past the car and then again, we cut to we cut to, I think his name's Jimmy. He's in the bar kind of shouting his mouth off at Tina's ex-partner. Yeah, getting lippy. Well, he's, yeah, he's not only just getting lippy, but like he is like saying at like the top of his voice, like, I'll do to you what I did to Tina. And it's like, okay, like, would would you really, if you'd committed any crime, do you know I mean, even if you had stolen a pack of chewing gum, from the convenience store, like a, a smart man, well, any, not even a smart man, a, a fairly 
intelligent in any aspect would go i'm not really going to talk about that not let alone keep my head down on that one yeah exactly like you said keep your fucking head not that i'm like giving like criminals like keep your head down you could get away with this get away with this boys (laughs) keep it quiet (laughs) that's the second cancer yeah um but by the time yeah which pretty so the final guy who gets off I had I couldn't remember seeing that guy at all in the rest of this film by the time he pops up at the end. I, I think it's because you know <laughs> the film is it, it's short but it's long. <laughs> like it it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. It does certain things really swiftly and it skips over things it probably shouldn't, and then doesn't explore things it probably should. Like it doesn't it doesn't have any kind of time management skills. And I'm guessing that they were like, fuck, we're already running at like nearly 140 minutes. We can't afford to have more of this. Mm-hmm. Another poorly drawn rape caricature fucking around to explain why he's about to get off and whatever. I don't really need to see any of that. We know, we as the audience were there. We know what happened. It's not like we're in, like, in a shadow of doubt ourselves. Yeah. And we're not entirely sure what happened in that scene. We know. So you don't need to then convince us later on that they're still dickheads. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Just kill them. You get that again, the kind of horror movie logic of characters being able to just disappear when he like turns up in the shoe shop and like his reflection in that in that like very low shoe mirror you get in Clark's and he's like, You tell your mum that, that I was that I had like I had left by the time what happened happened and it's like and then like the the grandma comes to like console her and she like look, looks so what looks like a changing room and he's just vanished or he's just right up against the wall inside of a, a, a changing room, which would have made for a funny moment. Yeah, like just a quick aside of him just being like, <laughs> oh, they don't look around this corner. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think it's when things like that happen that like, you're just like, uh, like I, I probably shouldn't be looking into this too much, but like, it's just irking me now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there is there these is guys a... aren't magic <laughs> like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah they're not it's... they're not cri- they're not super criminals that like have got escape routes and plans and whatever they're just a bunch of dumb hicks yeah somehow have teleportation skills that yeah. and yeah again like we get we, we get like him in his his bit like bedroom and he's supposed to like seem like he's a bad guy because he's got like a black light and a couple of like I don't know, a collection of a very like assortment of posters on the wall, but like then it's like there's something that looks like a kind of creepy kid's drawing, and then he's got like a poster of Johnny Cash, and like a, a lava lamp going on. It's like oh, he's he's he just looks like a, a te- he looks like a teenage boy. Basically, I mean maybe maybe the black light's <laughs> there because he's like a germaphobe. And he just wants to, you know, make sure everything is clean as as, as a whistle. But I don't think that's probably the case. Well, no, because this room looks like, like it's in a treehouse. Maybe it is. I don't <laughs> even honestly. You're you're telling me this, and I've watched the film, and I don't remember this at all. I don't remember when this happened. Um, I might have been. I, I'm probably just writing in my notes of what is going on. <laughs> like basically. Yeah, this is. Who knows? This is the moment um, just before cage lures like the guy again 
lures a guy to a motel using um, uh, either a very good like n- voice changer that he has, or or he's got an accessory into what is still a crime by doing vigilante justice by getting a woman to lure this guy to a motel, which doesn't seem to be explained either. Neither of those are by the book. No. But either either way, I think that's another one of those ones where they're just like, let's just pretend that this is all fine, and yeah. we'll and we'll move on, and we'll we'll get him there, and then because otherwise. They would have to be clever. They'd have to explain the machinations of how he got there. So it's just easier just to be like, it was either a woman or a very elaborate voice changer that lured the man. <laughs> so, yeah, then we kind of, yeah, he, well, he shoots him. It's it's deemed suicide. Cage has got away with it. Uh, Tina and Beffy decide that's it. We're going to California. Little did they know that uh, a, a year later, the whole place would be on fire. Um, uh, and then again, a couple of years after that, it would be on fire again. Uh, but uh, yeah, so you have uh, you have a reading on the end, Brad. I'm, 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 I'm interested to hear what it is. I do, I do. <laughs> so I've got a few questions to start off this reading. Mm-hmm. Why are they saying goodbye for offence? I have no idea. He he even offers like come round, like we can, like I can I can come see you. So I mean, the literal line reading is that there's a barrier between them. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at it from a, a director's point of view, that's obviously a choice he's decided to make. That 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 you know this goodbye should be um, uh, a, a, a socially distanced goodbye um and you know he talks to the the woman uh i mean you've remembered their names well done uh, <laughs> the victim uh i have not uh but it's almost like she fucks off like immediately she it's because uh, the, the 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 shifting kind of the, the the idea of it shifts and then it's about the young girl in cage and she even says to him during that conversation i love you Mm. and Nicolas Cage gets very uh, emotionally choked up. So it is my reading that it is not the mother he loves. He loves the idea of the girl. Not in a sex way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In a wholesome, I wish you were my daughter, I wish I had a daughter, something along those lines, that maybe he was never, ever really looking to get his dick wet. He was mainly looking at or mainly drawn to the young girl once again not in a nonce way <laughs> in, a, in a in a wholesome other idealism of, of what it would be like to have a daughter or in a more literal yeah. i wish this girl was my daughter and i think everything he does although he's getting vengeance for the mother he's almost doing it for her more so in yep. my reading yeah, that that totally makes sense, and I think he even says to her at one point, like, "I, I never had a daughter, but if I did, I wish she was like anywhere near as like, like yeah, anywhere a- anywhere like brave you. or smart or whatever." Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, yeah, that I think, I, I think from the rubble of this, that 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 gives it like at least at least it leaves you with like a, a nice feeling 
at the end of that. Do you know what I mean? And like, I think if they'd crowbarred in an actual romantic subplot, this film would have been like, it would have taken a bit of a, like, that, that would have been like an unnecessary gross turn for it to take. Yeah. Like, well, we've already kind of established that, you know, at the beginning of the film, it's a bit egregious to mm-hmm. suggest that he would only really be vested in the interest because he knew the victim. Yeah. Even if, you know, even if we're reading it that he wasn't romantically interested in her or whatever, and they were just making bar, bar small talk and whatever, even if we remove that, which I don't think is the case, I think the film is suggesting that there is maybe potentially a, a, a romance possibly blooming between the two of them. Um, it's already quite egregious that he can only care about her really if he knows her. Mm-hmm. Um, but to then pivot that and say, oh, it's because he loves the girl in what in in whatever capacity you choose to read that in um it, it adds a bit of pathos to it that it hasn't earned it hasn't earned this emotional payoff at all but it adds at least an interesting layer in terms of from a storytelling point that for the whole film we're to assume for the most part that he's doing this for the the victim of the attack but really he may be doing it I mean, the young girl was a victim as well of the of the of the yeah. assault and the attack, but that's the only thing I can make. And I'm clutching the straws there. I'm sure if someone properly investigated this film and took it very seriously, which I didn't, I'm sure you didn't either, <laughs> uh, might be able to unpick and say, "Well, no, it's definitely about the the lady." <laughs> I'm just going to keep calling her the lady because <laughs> I can't remember her name. What? Um, yeah, her name's T- Tina. Well, it's Martina, but I only realise that when they're in court because obviously you've got to go by like your government name. And then I was yeah. like, "Oh, like I, I was like, what, have they fucked up?" Like, and then it's like, "Oh no, obviously Tina is." But it's even the way it's spelt. So like on IMDb, it's spelt T E E N A. It is. Like, yeah, that. I'm on it now. Yeah, that that looks like that would be like a kind of uh, a name. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. There was a big thing when I was at school, and all of a sudden, like girls called Lucy and Amy started spelling their names with an I E, like out of nowhere. And it kind of feels like one of those, like reinvent yourself. Like, hey, I'm I'm done with this I N A lark. I'm gonna put a double E in it. Interesting, so I actually have a sister called Amy, uh, and she is spelled A I M E E. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. The, no, the, that's the French spelling, I'm told. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, like it's nothing to them. Like, the people I know who did it at school did it very much for like a stylistic change. I, I even remember one person just putting an umlaut. On, uh, on on their name, and I was like, "Well, that changes the complete pronunciation of your name. You cannot put cannot put. Is it an umlaut? No, not an umlaut. The two dots over the uh, over That's over the a right. yeah over a U. And I was like, "You can't do that. That's a, it's a different cultural appropriation. You're no longer Lucy. Yeah, yeah, you're Lucy or something. Lucy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lucy. <laughs> well, but yeah, this is taking uh, a weird tangent, but." Uh, so yeah. we've we've established, Brad, you will not be watching this uh, film again. Would you recommend it to anyone to watch? Uh, I would say this one appeals only to completeness, which you are and I am. 
Um, however, if there was ever to be a second round of completionism, once we've, once we've done the whole <laughs> set once, if we ever thought, oh, let's go around and do it again, I'd probably put some caveats in and say, I'm going to cherry pick and not cover all, and not do them all again. And vengeance would not make my, uh, my repeat watching. And yeah. There are several very bad ones that I would never, I, I would still watch. So, <laughs> well, yeah, there's some of them that have that kind of, I don't know, late night movie, like so bad it's good, like aspect to them. Whereas some of them, there's this, I would put like Rage and, or Tokarev, uh, and possibly, um, Left Behind, I don't know. Left, I think Left Behind does maybe fall into the so bad it's it's good category just for like the kind of the hallmark quality of it and the uh, the library music like soundtrack that it's got that's just absolutely baffling. And there's a film I watched last night. Well, like recorded an episode for last night that will be coming out in the future for uh, a score to settle. I'm not sure if you've seen that, but that is. That is all kinds of crazy that I kind of want to watch it again just mm. to kind of... It's got like a mid, a midway twist that it's like, oh, I want to go back and then see, like, l- watch the film knowing that twist and see how... Reverse even, engineer it. Even more mental the film is for knowing the twist. Um, but, yeah, I'm I'm in the process of creating... Uh, the, cra- the the Cage Tyrion collection, which is the my personal picks of best Nicolas Cage films, but then also compiling a list called Left Behind, which is for people who want to avoid the bottom of the barrel. Uh, and would you say that this one falls into that bottom of the barrel category? It, it does, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm, going back to your ca- Cage Tyrion, I'm very much hoping that Deadfall remains in Tyrion. Yes, unfortunately its spiritual sequel is the complete opposite. That will go into the uh, Left Behind category which is the 2017 Arsenal or Southern Fury, I believe it is called. I haven't done that one yet. So, so you know yeah, I, uh, this would have been that would have been last week's episode uh, to this yeah. one. Um Nick Cage plays Eddie, uh, yeah, plays Eddie from Deadfall uh, in Southern Fury, and I just can't understand how he plays Eddie. He's dead. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's quite he's, he's dead. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I mean, now I, I mean, so the, I'll, I'll explain the reason. The reason why I've never got round to it is because for most places it's called Arsenal, not Southern Fury. Uh, and I'm a Tottenham fan. So, <laughs> can't do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Can't do it. Well, even with the name, like, yeah, we, uh, me and my guests talked about it. Like, neither of the titles are applicable to the film at all. Okay, they're just words. They're, yeah, <laughs> they're just it's, words. It's, it's just a marketing team going, oh, it needs to be called something like that'll do yeah it's like we, we 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 got we got a weekend of uh john cusack we got that bloke from entourage in the lead and we got nick cage who's insisting on playing a character who's been dead since 1993 
I want to watch it more now <laughs> than I did. <laughs> I did two minutes ago. Perfect. So, for someone who's trying to put this in the left behind category, you're doing a really shit job. Yeah, well, I, I know nothing. Like you, you earlier said that Stolen is possibly a bad film. I, I've been getting a lot of heat online recently because I um I kept saying to people it's not as bad it's not as bad as it it, it could be and like it's kind of, I kind of enjoyed it and people are getting back to me going y- you've probably lost your mind you've got like uh, like Stockholm syndrome like Cage Home syndrome from just watching all these Nick Cage films know how bad it can get though they don't know how bad it can get. Exactly, exactly. Well, that is the thing. I think when you watch it, especially in a concentrated fashion, like, and, and you've got to have these, I, I kind of like that, that I enjoy Stolen, because it's like, well, that's another film that I can enjoy. Like, it might not be for everyone, but because I've watched some real dross the weeks leading up to it, it then comes like sweet relief. It's It's an oasis in the desert for me, going... Oh, well, at least it's not that film I watched last week. Exactly. Like, once they've, you know, <laughs> if, if these people that are like, why are you saying that about Solon, had sat down and watched Army of One, I don't think that they'd be saying this. Or, you know, The Runner, like, <laughs> so bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, so. Well, you, you don't like Army of One, or you, you do, like. No, I don't like Army of One. Well, it's really interesting because there apparently there is an, there's like an, another cut of that film that is yet to see the light of day. It's uh, it's my personal release. The Snyder cut is released. The Larry Charles cut of uh, Army of One, just because I, I can see that there something was trying to. There be could dark. be something in it. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's the same as Schrader's Schrader's dark cut, Dying of the Light. That that has been covered on this podcast both. Both of those films with the fantastic uh, Anna Boyagutska from uh, the Final Girls. So yeah, my that... friend Anna, I know, I know Anna very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we covered we covered, but both of those. Uh, I had to, I had to become Johnny Lee Miller from uh, Hackers to find the Paul Schrader cut. But uh, yeah, of uh... that's the only version I've seen. Oh, amazing! Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Di- I've only I... seen Dark. I haven't seen Dying of the Light. Well, don't, don't, definitely don't. <laughs> I didn't uh, like, I didn't like Dark, so. <laughs> oh, no, 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 like, it's, it's, they're both, well, it's trying to polish a turd, but when you've, like, not, not got Warner Brothers to go, here's another 70 million to do reshoots, you're not. You're a bit stuck, aren't you? You're a bit stuck, yeah, yeah, you're a bit stuck if you've got a DVD copy of a piece of shit to then try and make some gold out of it. Uh, well, perfect, so. Before yeah, before we wrap things up, Brad, I uh, always ask three questions at the end of these, which is, uh, does Nick Cage have bad hair in this film? His hair is the uh, the characteristically a bit too dark, and it looks dyed. Mm-hmm. But and it gets messy at the end. But aside that, I've seen a lot worse. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's we've got good hair, uh, and does he do? Obviously, we talked about a few like. Umpire's Kiss is famous for it. I'd even argue Colour Out Space. He channels a mad voice, but does he do anything crazy with his voice in this film? He does not. It's a, it's a shame, isn't it? It's a, it's a real shame. 
<laughs> and then fi- uh, finally, do we get a Nick Cage freakout? We don't really. Again, a, a cry, a, a crying shame. Obviously, not like like he isn't just that that Nicholas Cage loses his shit sizzle reel, but at the same time, that is kind of what makes him Nick Cage a lot of the time. Like those kind of moments of, of madness, and yeah, unfortunately, this film we get none of that. He, I mean, he's over three on the things that make Nick Cage films good. Yeah, in this particular film, so. What are you gonna do? Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna say to people: do not watch. Uh, Vengeance, I, I a love oh, yeah. story. Oh, I nearly blanked out on the title. Fuck's sake, man! Uh, well, don't watch uh, that one. <laughs> yeah, don't watch that. One. Don't watch the one we've just spent an hour and a half talking about. Uh, Brad, it's been amazing having you on. Where can people keep up to date with everything you're doing uh, online, and just keep up to date with you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Had Branson, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Splatter Patter. Uh, I'll be on the Evolution of Horror podcast in November, uh, although it's not announced what I'll be talking about, so I probably shouldn't say here what it is. Uh, and again, in February, talking about one of my favorite. Mike has never given me a full episode to talk about a singular film. I always do that also rans the bits and pieces, mm. you know, uh, but this season he's feeling particularly charitable and I will be covering a film. I, I'll tell you which, oh, fuck it, I'll tell you which one this is. I'll be covering Under the Skin, uh, Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. Perfect. Well, that's something to, yeah. To, In to February. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I recently um, looked at my schedule of episodes I've recorded and uh, during lockdown, I got overexcited and like just got guests when I could. And I have an episode for Colour Out Space that won't come out till February the 13th. Just before Valentine's Day. How romantic. Yeah, exactly. What's more romantic than being melded onto your child? And slam dunking tomatoes <laughs> in a <the> bin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, uh, uh, yeah, thanks so much, Brad, for coming on and uh, enduring this film with me. Pleasure, mate. Thank you. And that's your lot, guys. Uh, that was me, um, fantastic Brad Hansen, talking about vengeance, a love story. I'm not sure if it's a film I will be watching again. Who knows? Who knows where this podcast will go? There probably will be a point where I will have to watch it again. However, if this is your favourite Nicolas Cage film or you disagree with any of the points that me and Brad made on this, hey, even if you agree with the points we made, please do get in touch over on socials at CagedInPod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or if you want to really plug away at something send me a a long long essay of things that you want to uh, moan about or or say you're doing a fantastic job drop an email which is cagedinpod at gmail.com and don't forget to rate review and subscribe 
on Apple Podcasts because that really helps more people find out about this podcast. As I've said before, and I'll say again on this podcast, who knows, the next film that we're talking about may be someone's favourite film ever. Or this may actually be someone you know's favourite podcast. They just don't know about it. So unless, like, spread the word, people aren't going to know about it. But yeah, uh, I'm saying this. I'm saying this with 14 episodes of this current thing that it is left. But it it will go on longer than that. Uh, hopefully, this outro won't go on for too much longer. I feel like I am very much rambling. Uh, but yeah, if you do want to support the podcast, obviously. You can. You can even just share it on social media and stuff like that. Or just tell people about it. It's always fun. It's always like, I don't know, I like to create a nice sense of community and something I really like. And yeah, always on Twitter, there's a nice core group of people always kind of getting involved in the conversation and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, as, as I kind of like more like introduced to more and more people and stuff like that there's there's more and more avenues and places this podcast can go and i've got a lot of ideas in my in my bloody noggin that uh that will hopefully pay off eventually and you see the fruits but yeah if you want to support this podcast financially as well you can do that over on patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where soon i will be launching a companions episodes so they will be films that are linked to a nick cage film just by a kind of thematic link whether that is fear and loathing in las vegas for leaving las vegas or if that's the crazies for mum and dad or if it's that as mentioned in this episode if we talk about revenge for vengeance a love story it will be all that kind of thing and it gives me a chance to talk about other films and stuff like that and talk to some of the same guests again in a different context and kind of talk talk about some fun interesting stuff and it gives me a chance to talk about some of those old nick cage films with different people and uh i'll say it here i'm not sure when it will see the light of day but i have contacted brad about coming to talk about the wicker man but what will be the companion film you can also support this podcast by buying one of our limited edition superman caged in prints uh, designed by the fantastic comic book illustrator tim hornsby who uh speaking of the wicker man is on the wicker man episode which is in the back catalogue and uh, i actually listened to it today uh part of it and i didn't cringe i actually laughed actually not 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 so much at my bits but listening to tim and uh, bob turnbull just kind of turn of phrases and their observations are great and i can say that because it's not me they just happen to be on my podcast but it's it's not me going i'm great maybe i am great because i booked those bloody guests for next week's episode i will be joined by journalist and fellow nick cage enthusiast uh ed jefferson to talk about the 2017 film 
directed by Jonathan Baker. Inconceivable. Uh, it's a fantastic chat, so please do come listen to that one. And yeah, we talk about Ed's fantastic uh, blog that he does where he picks numbers from random Nicolas Cage films. Well, not random Nicolas Cage films. He picks numbers from specific Nicolas Cage films and uses those numbers to enter the lottery. As always, guys, I have been Petrus Patsalus. I have been caged in. I am possibly losing my mind right now. You have been amazing. Catch you next week. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast. Caged in Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.